0: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is a Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. So if this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us. Uh, I've got a great guest lined up again uh, today, Uh, another Clubhouse uh, guest. I am often on Clubhouse, and I think Clubhouse is a very important uh, part of what's going on today, especially for the people who are on the side of knowing. And trying to educate the, I wouldn't say the unknowing, but the um, the people that just aren't paying attention or just aren't—they're clued into another narrative. They're clued. They're watching the other movie. We've got two movies that are going on, I believe, in in society right now. And you know, you're either watching one or you're watching the other. So uh, some don't know about the other one. That's the problem. You know, they're not getting the full information. So I met. This woman and her name, I know her as Money Penny. Uh, she goes by Nick and she goes by, I think another another name as well. And I ran across her in a, in a club called the Preservation of the Human Race. And I got interested in it and I started listening. and this woman would come on with a, uh, a UK accent, Sounding very intelligent and super patient, listening to her debate with facts that she's referring to and is putting up as she's you know in in the the link part of Clubhouse. If so you haven't been there, you, I can explain it. But so everything that she's speaking about, she's providing facts and she's countering um, other folks. You know who are trying to you know say other things and in clubhouse there's people that come in randoms that try to uh discredit you or try to push a different narrative or just you know cause chaos altogether and she did a very good job and she moderates there as well and she does a very good job in everything that she does and she presents and as i started listening to her you know and we'll get more into that i'm not going to go into a whole deep story (laughs) i gotta save something for the uh for the interview um Yeah, it was just one of those things where I I just, I enjoy the content that she provides. I enjoy the research that, and the in depth of the research that she does. And the fact that she can provide, she can provide receipts to everything that she says. So that to me, that's impressive because I'm not very good at doing research at all. And I depend on people who actually know how to do it, have the patience to do it, and are willing to share it with everybody. And showing you where you know if, if you you don't believe me, go look for yourself. So, with that, uh, let's get to the show and hit you up on the uh, intro real quick, and then we'll be right back with uh, Miss Money Penny.
1: Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail and legal paperwork in 2010 he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life this is the nowhere to go but up podcast if you want transparency and authenticity you're in the right place this is the nowhere to go but up podcast and this is Sean Dustin
0: Hello there. Hi, Sean. How are you?
2: I'm okay. I'm looking forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. Me too. Uh, I am a fan of Miss Money Penny on Clubhouse in the okay. preservation of the human race. Always coming in prepared, always uh, got that fighting spirit going. Um, I, I just, I, I, enjoy every time you're on the stage listening to you and not to mention you got a, a, a great UK accent. So <laughs> great British accent. Yeah. yeah. British. I'm not, as you can tell, I'm not very, uh, fluent with how to, the other, the other side of the pond, uh, talks <laughs> about things. Although I, I have interviewed a couple folks from uh, the UK.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, our accents vary quite a lot. Um, so I have what is known as a the traditional British accent, or some people refer to it as the BBC English accent, which is ironic because I did work at the BBC uh, many decades ago, um, but I don't have a regional accent, whereas some people in the UK, literally, I can't understand some of them, from Glasgow right up in Scotland, they can have a really, really thick accent and they talk really quickly. Um, <laughs> it's not always easy, no. <sighs>
0: Yeah, we have that here too. I mean, like when you get in toward the Dakotas, uh, up in Minnesota area, you can they they have that uh, that Canadian, that French Canadian thing going. Uh, back in the Dakotas, I'm going from Minnesota, going to the Dakotas. They just they have, yeah they have this this strange accent that's only there, and then you get down into like let's say. Uh, I don't know, uh, California, I, I wouldn't, like, Cal- California doesn't have an accent, I don't think, we just...
2: They don't say chill, they're like, yeah, I'm so laid back, it'll
0: happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> chill out, man, just chill out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you, now, you know from Cal, you're from California when, um, oh, there's there's some, some key things that, that people from California say that nobody says anywhere else, I think, so, oh man, I can't remember what it was, though. So, that's how out of the game I am.
2: Well, we get it in the UK. There's, you know, different words mean different things. Um, So if you're Tup North, as we say, if you live Tup North, you talk about men and women as lads and lasses. I lad, I lassie, you know, Um, but you wouldn't say that if you were from anywhere below the middle of England. So, yeah, we do. I've got a lot of different dialects and stuff but yeah I'm lost on most of the US I've never spoken to so many um, American people not that everybody on Clubhouse is American but I've never spoken to so many American people and realised there's so many different accents because (laughs) I always try and do accents and I'm pretty rubbish sometimes but the ones that I do are obviously exaggerated versions and I've been told that my only American accent I can do is sort of half Texan um, half sort of um, Wisconsin. I I don't even know what half these places are. I have no idea. Te-
0: tex- Texas Wisconsin. That's, a, yeah, a, that's an yeah, interesting
2: one. I want to come to your barbecue, but I'm going to come on my pony. <laughs> I mean, what the hell is it?
0: <laughs> I, don't, that's a, I don't know, man. That that was a... a yeah, there's a, there's a mix in Too many there.
2: years of watching Dallas when I was a kid. That's what it is.
0: Oh my god, <laughs> that show. I remember that show. J.R. Ewing. Yeah, yeah, that was a great one, man. My mom was, was hooked on that too. And Dynasty, Dynasty was another one.
2: We say Dynasty, Dynasty, darling. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let, let's get into you and uh, and a little bit about who you are. And uh, you said you mentioned that you worked for the BBC uh, as a journalist. I'd, I'd be interested in like what, as you're seeing in journalism now. What it's come to, especially in corporate corporate media, uh, what do you you think of that? Do
2: you know the first thing I really noticed, having been on Clubhouse and having more interaction with people in the U.S. um, that are similar to myself, sort of similar age, background, intellect, all the rest of it, is how different the media is in terms of particularly being totally mistrusted. Almost all media that I've been talking about in the U.S., Even from maybe eight, 10 months ago, before we got deep into pandemic, you know, conspiracy fact stuff, um, it became clear to me how little you can trust most of the American media. Not just because some of the shareholders happen to be big pharma or advertisers or whatever, but also because... Even going through some of the reports, and I like to look at stuff that's very scientific, proven, because as a journalist, any journalist, you need two independent sources before you can write anything. So you find a source like the Atlantic, the New York Post, Uh, The the New York Times, The Washington Post, um, and then you have Reuters, Bloomberg, Wire Services. And in journalism world, they stack up as being good, independent sources. But when you get to look at uh, CNN, uh, CBC, 500 million radio stations across the United States that are basically political before they've even started opening their mouths and you have red states and blue states and all this stuff which is very dichotomous, you don't seem to have true independence in the media in the US, which is just mind blowing and it makes me understand more why people from the US are so much more anti-media, I get it, I get it much more, but in the UK um, particularly because of the pandemic there's also a division gone on because They've had this thing called the the Trusted News Initiative. I don't know if you've heard of it. And it's basically a group of different media networks and companies worldwide that have all got into a group where they have to do what they are told. And it's called the Trusted uh, News Initiative. So these people, basically half of them are fact checker or fact checker agencies themselves. And to be honest... You can't trust a word that's being said. It's all sponsored. It's all commercialized. So the BBC, which is not paid for in the same way as any other media channel, the BBC is paid for by the British public license payers, pay a license every year to watch the BBC, whereas everything else is is funded by adverts. The BBC, to me, has now gone, because the Trusted News Initiative has just meant it has to toe the line everything it does has to toe the line. And as a result, a lot of my friends that are still journalists, some of them that work for the BBC, they've left. They just cannot be bought. A journalist wants to be totally independent of They want to open up investigative stuff. Um, You see Watergate, stuff like that. They do not want to be patrolled. Journalists are obstinate, stubborn. They want the facts, and they do not want to be guarded by them. And that's just been lost. It's just gone.
0: Yeah, it is. And I mean, there was a really good uh, movie, and it was about oh, I can't, I don't, I don't remember the name of it, but I know you, you'll probably know what it is. It was the one that was about the um, the Catholic priests, and there was oh, a
2: spotlight. Yeah. Uh, spotlight, yeah, spotlight.
0: Do you haven't seen that in how long? Like I watched if, it if,
2: again six months ago.
0: That movie holds water. Holds water, no matter when you watch it. You know what I mean? Because it shows the passion that you have to have to be an investigative yeah. journalist.
2: Watergate, you know I mean? too, the movie about Watergate. I mean, that is just classic, and it really shows that you honestly are putting your life on the line for half of the investigative stuff. And not every journalist does investigative stuff, but they want the freedom to be able to do it. And the media at the moment are basically suppressed that if you as a journalist write 600 words on what's happening in the pandemic in your town, your 600 words then goes to the news editor, who looks at it, maybe changes it, and then it goes to the editor who maybe looks at it and changes it and thinks, oh, it's a little bit close to the edge. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that. It then goes to the publisher. And then it gets to the level where all the advertising money that's coming in on that week's paper, oh dear, well, that thing that she's written is going to really piss off these advertisers. So we're not going to run it at all. And you as the journalist at the bottom of the line that's put all the work and energy in, you might as well. <clears throat> Puff of smoke. You just can't write it. Yeah, that's you can see why people leave i mean most of my friends now are freelancing they're exacerbated they're frustrated they've lots of them have just walked out lost their jobs and particularly there was a journalist on clubhouse barbara her name is who is the head of a breakfast tv show um in the states and she was very open and quite well open in saying when all the statistics were coming in in the middle of the pandemic and they were saying X thousand people had cases or it was spreading in New York and the hospitals were, were full and people were dropping down dead and all the exaggerated stuff that we were getting at that time she just said it was bullshit she just said I don't know how I can live with myself I walk in the morning I've given a script I read out these numbers and I know they're bullshit I just don't know how I live with myself
0: yeah i mean that's that's very true there's there was tons of stuff i mean and you would even see on social media where people would go down to the to those hospitals that are that are in question yeah with their with their phone and live stream or you know facebook live i've seen an instagram live where they're like people there are nobody here there's no anything that that you've been told is not happening you know, then there was, uh, yeah. It's just, it's just ridiculous, and and we'll we'll get back to this for sure. Um, yeah. So let's let's go a little bit about into you a little bit more. I know that uh, your bio had a lot of interesting, uh, not not that it was interesting, but I mean you've been through some shit. Um, <laughs> to, 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 to,
2: <laughs> you put it directly. I
0: like that. I like that. Yeah, I mean, just to, to you know, put it bluntly, and, and that's you know. I think I've been through some shit too, you know, and it's good to meet you, you know. I've been in
2: prison as well. Does that count? Have you? A Malaysian prison.
0: Wow. Was it uh, journalist related? Journalism no, related?
2: No, no. It was pure Malaysian corruption. I was there working on uh, motorsport, working on the Shah Alam motor circuit at the time, which is a big thing of mine. I love motorsport. And I'd hired a little car to get around Malaysia. I was in Kuala Lumpur. I parked my car, and little been known to me it was a big sign near my car, like a hundred yards either side or whatever, It said Latonda. No idea what it was. I don't speak mm-hmm. Malaysian. It said Coway Zone. <laughs> <laughs> so I did my shopping, got back to where my car was. Car had gone. And I was like, what the hell do I do now? And of course, these people run up who are after a bribe or money and go, I tell you, I, t- I, I talk and blah, blah, blah. And they said, uh, I know where your car is. I know where it is. So after bunging them, you know, the equivalent of $10, I was, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, jumped into a taxi and taken to the pound. Um, where sure enough, pretty much every bloody hoss, everybody on vacation who would got a hire car was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? So it's like, the biggest, honestly, the biggest money-making, I don't know, corruption you've ever scam- seen. Basic so level.
0: Basically a scam?
2: Yeah, complete scam. But the, the point is, when I got there, the guy that I was traveling with at the time, he only had the equivalent of, sort of 100 US on him, which they wouldn't accept. There was no price thing up. They didn't tell us the price. They just make it up. And they said, <laughs> well, that's not enough. So they sent him back to our hotel. He literally opened our safe. It was the second day of the trip. And he came back with all the cash we got, which was like, you know, 2,000 US dollars. And they took every single penny before they let me out. They put me in a jail proper, bars, everything, for about four hours with complete men. Just, I was the only female. Most of these men were topless in shorts because it's really hot, really humid. And these guys are just in this five by five meter cage with me, absolutely terrifying, <laughs> <I> am. <laughs>
0: Yeah that's, yeah. yeah that's one thing about traveling about in different countries you you know <laughs> you don't want to go to another country's jail system that's for sure I used to go to Mexico all the, with my mom on vacation all the time and I would get, I <laughs> yeah she would she would be nervous when I would leave at night you know, not knowing if I'd end up in a jail on the way back um, so yeah that's uh, always interesting other countries. So what what part of that do you want to uh to to jump into? I mean, you've got I, I, it's it's fascinating. You like cars, motorbikes, adrenaline, that's cool. Um yeah. you're a dog person. I'm a dog person too. Um I've got a charcoal lab. His name's Riley. He's about six years old.
2: labs love water as well, don't they? They'll just launch themselves into a pond. We've got a little park next to us where a famous British TV film was uh, made because it's so pretty. With little weeping willows and ponds and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, the labs go chasing in and into the pond. But uh, I'll tell you, if I go back a bit. So I have um, one brother, one sibling, and uh, he's two years younger than me and he's in the music business um i'm not going to say how important he is but he is probably the second most revered and highly paid person in the record industry the music industry in the uk but he is very very he's very very cool and calm understated doesn't, doesn't like to be talked about and in some ways it does create a little bit of barrier between us when i'm particularly doing clubhouse stuff where a lot of it gets quite highly publicized and a lot of people want to know a lot about you because, as you said, there's a big element of mistrust that can happen with social audio, Um, particularly when you claim that you are a super, you know, COVID scientist or you're this, that the other and we've got what we literally call pretend doctors um so many people with the word doctor in front of their name that turn out to be a yoga doctor or a doctor yeah. or whatever it might be you know they are real doctors they are nothing to do with medical doctors uh, they I'm, a nail, I'm a nail doctor do, you know spider science or something completely yeah, yeah. hysteric but they are not a doctor but on clubhouse oh no no i'm a doctor i've got a doctor in front of my name um so it's all about credibility and when I grew up it was just my mother and father who were very average ordinary people my dad was both from Scotland from a fishing village Um, my mother was from North England a place where they talk about inbreeding is the most exciting thing that happens Um, she became a a school teacher uh, and a headmistress Um, but they were both complete narcissists they were so involved in their own life I never had a cuddle. I never remember anything affectionate. I don't remember that. Myself and my brother, we bought our own food and made our own food from sort of the age of 10 or 11. We, de- we didn't sit around a, a family table and eat together. Um, we were basically tenants in our own home until I got to about 12. And it was sort of, I discovered I was brilliant at dancing, ballroom dancing and Latin American dancing. And it was also a good way to get out of the house because the house is just a horrific atmosphere of repression. There's no swearing, no shouting, no raised voices, no emotion at all. So if you did something wrong, they wouldn't say, go to your bed. They'd just be literally raise the hand. You'd go to your bed and slam the door. So there was no anger shown. There was no love shown, nothing shown. So I got out of the house doing these competitive dancing things um, from yeah, about the age of well, I started at age 9 or 10 and every single weekend all I did was do ballroom and Latin American dancing, I danced with the British team a lot, it was my life until my dance coach began having what was clearly quite a torrid affair with my mother and obviously I didn't want my mother and father to spill up so I didn't want to tell my father and then my dance coach began sexually abusing me And that continued for many years where I had to just hide it. I started starving myself, become anorexic and bulimic and get rid of my female body. And I was just years of terror. And my mother would force me to go to all these dance lessons and coaching things. And she picked up that I didn't want to be near this guy who was, you know, 30 years older than me. Mm -hmm. who was having an affair with her, who she worshipped. But at the same time, he was taking me into a room and doing things he shouldn't have been doing. And obviously the guilt, as everybody that has sexual abuse knows, is your guilt that you didn't Mm -hmm. stop it happening. And so that really caused the start of what became a really traumatic growing up.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that would, and sorry, you had to go through that. And, uh, you know how how old were you when that started?
2: I was about 12 when he first did something that was inappropriate. Yeah.
3: So um, Yeah.
0: That's uh you know uh, I I I have sort of similar uh, story to that except it's with, you know, my, 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 I have a daughter, another daughter, uh older one. She's 21. She had been, um, I, I block, I got my uh, rights terminated when she was 11 months old because of my lifestyle drugs and, you know, everything that you heard in the, in the intro. Right. Yeah. And so the mom just decided to, to, you know, Hey, you know, better, better to be without you. Cause I don't want my, you know, I don't want you around her in that lifestyle. And I, I gladly said, yes, okay, fine. That's, you know, I get out of child support and all this other stuff. Um, that was the beginning of my downfall when I made that choice. And so what I found out years later, when I finally connected with her again, is that she had been being, uh, sexually abused. Sometimes she was 11 till she was, I believe, um, 14 or 15. And it was with her stepdad who is one of these yogi kind of guys, right? And, you know, spiritual guy. Yeah. And when... In a
2: trusted, trusted position.
0: Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of that. You know what I mean? There's so much of that that goes on.
2: That's often what it is. And that's why, you know, in in sport, and obviously I was basically in a very high-level sport. Um, I was training to be fit and keep my weight and my diet all under control, to be really good at what I was doing. And, I, you know, I'm very competitive. But um, you get a reverence and you look up to your tutor. You look up to somebody who is telling you how to win championships, who's telling you how to better yourself. So you look up, you aspire to them. And that's sadly why, you know, a lot of abuse happens in families where you look up to your uncle or aunt or whoever it might be. Or you have a trusted role. We've got, you know, there's a big footballer um, sexual abuse thing that was discovered, you know, in uh, gymnastics, lots of girls, Mm -hmm. uh, tennis coaches, you know. And I'm very glad that it's become easier to talk about. I'm very glad because I know a lot of what I went through was me trying to hide Mm -hmm. everything and not having anybody to talk to about it. And at least now there is a recognition and there is a helpline and there is a support network, particularly for kids who have nobody to talk to. So I'm, I'm glad that happens, yeah.
0: And for those of you who are watching and if you're getting triggered by any of this that we're talking about and those that are listening, uh, the National Sexual Abuse Hotline number is 1-800-656-HOPE or 4673. That's one 800 656 4673. And that's the National Sexual Abuse Hotline. So I would don't want to talk about things and not give somebody somewhere to go if they, uh, you know what I mean? Trying to do my.
2: In the UK, you know, if anybody is watching and worried maybe about spotting it in your own children. Because if you think I, as a child, would have been showing some different behavioral signs because my parents were very aloof and narcissistic, they didn't pick up on it. But the fact that I lost two stone in weight within a very short period of time, I was vomiting up into a sink. The time that they first found out about it was four or five years into it when the U-bend in the sink in our house was so full of food we had to call a plumber in. They discovered that years and years of vomiting food had stopped all the plumbing. And that's the only way they discovered that I was in a bad situation because then, I the radio in the bathroom and I vomited and you know I just hid food that occasionally my mother would you know come in and get some sweets or a biscuit and I would just hide them I just wouldn't eat them and I was trying to get rid of my body so I wouldn't be attractive in any way to anybody because I hated the abuse that was being done to me
0: yeah that's going to be horrible now what was that conversation like when you had to explain you know what what that was
2: I just lied most people do lie you know people that use drugs people that go through trauma people that are being abused you lie um, and you lie for many many years and I lied at the time the U-Bend was found and I simply said I decided I was vegetarian and didn't want to eat anything that my uh, you know that I had to eat that was containing meat so I just lied and it was 14 years later I was 21 Third year at a university, that the first time I told anybody, it was my father and my brother, what had been happening. That by that time I'd had three serious suicide attempts. I tried recreational drugs. I had become very, very different in terms of I became a goth. I don't know if you know what a goth is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I dress in black all the time, very heavy black eye makeup, really heavy black hair all over my face. I would just be adorned in black. I wanted to be in the shadows. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want any attention. And I went to a very left-wing university, um, which was all about anti-apartheid. And I became part of this, very media, left-wing media sort of organisation, which ironically then led me into the BBC. And I worked with uh, a fantastic Nigerian Rastafarian guy called dotna Adebayo. He is now an MBE. He's got a title in the UK and he's <laughs> of Radio 5, BBC Radio 5. And him and I, the bonkers Rasta and me, became sort of, uh, you know, mates in conspiracy of you know revealing stuff Uh, and even today I still speak on his shows in the BBC
0: (laughs) that's awesome yeah so how did you uh how did you how did you turn that around um you know what did it what did it take for you you know everybody's got their own you know sort of bottom in, in life from whatever trauma that they've been exposed to or you know have had
2: I crashed I think you have to go through a complete crash Um, I'd been through the suicide attempts. I'd been hospitalised. I'd had my stomach pumped out. I'd spent three Christmases, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Boxing Day, on my own, three years running, hiding in a student union dorm where all the students had gone home. and It was just me and security guards. And I was the only person who didn't have anywhere to go because by this time, I completely cut off all contact with my mother the day I gave up dancing to stop it happening she said she'd never ever forgive me, that was her words my father and my brother didn't understand why I wouldn't speak or have anything to do with her so they rejected me so I was at university, I had to work all the time to raise my funds to pay my bills at university and I pretended I had people to go to every Christmas, but the third Christmas I popped back to see my brother briefly and his landlord raped me His landlord, my brother's landlord, raped me on New Year's Eve and my brother went out to some sort of rave and I got into my car at about midnight just after it happened and drove back, it was about a four hour drive, to the university student union and then I took the biggest overdose that I never should have taken and the security guard found me in a pool of blood, sick, vomit and pills two, two or three days later, by which point, my kidney and liver, I was just hemorrhaging blood. And I think when I got out of that, I just realized I had nowhere else to go. I had to start talking to somebody and I had to confess what I was hiding. So you have to hit rock bottom, I think, to get out of it.
0: God, man, that's that's so, uh, again, you know, sorry that you had to go through that. And let me hit that uh, that uh, number one more time up there. Um it's 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 crazy what the mind does right to to get away from the pain right or the shame or the guilt
3: guilt as well yeah yeah guilt
0: (laughs) the pain the shame the guilt all of it wrapped up and you know whether it's um it's just that trauma thing that that we can't get out of and and that causes all of these Adverse events, right? you can call them, you know, because it really is just symptoms, right? They're just symptoms and of things uh, that have have happened. And, you know, I I often say that the, uh, uh, that trauma, you know, that the, the gateway drug isn't, isn't marijuana. It isn't cigarettes. It isn't alcohol. It's untreated trauma. I
2: totally agree.
0: You know, and that's what we see. In our prisons, that's what we see. In our homeless, that's what we see. Everywhere where you find untreated trauma, it just spins out of control until you figure it out. And some people don't ever get a chance to figure it out. You know, you're lucky that you didn't get too far to a point when you were, you know, bu- was it bulimia, bulimic, or is that what they call yeah, that?
2: Bulimia and anorexia both you know, they're effectively self-harm, they're self-punishment. You hate yourself so much. Mm -hmm. You don't care if you starve and, and that you look, you know, disgusting. As long as you're thin, you're not female, you're not attractive, and you're not an abuse victim as much, because suddenly you are not a pretty little girl with, you know, a small sort of figure that is, you know, bumpy in the right areas, let's say. So I just wanted to be somebody that I wasn't to change my outside skin, to make myself as unattractive and unwanted as I possibly could.
0: So now you, you've, you uh, that's come into the light now. Uh, what happened? And I yeah, imagine that. I people that...
2: involved, uh, the CID, all this. I mean, the guy's quite high profile. You know, the uh, programs they do, Dancing with the Stars, and they have an equivalent program in the UK. And the person that abused me, obviously abused others, was very high profile. And when it got to the final chance to get him imprisoned, he was arrested. But the reason he was never charged is because at the last moment, my mother was <coughs> the truth. My father was interviewed, my brother was interviewed. They both realized everything had been going on. All the evidence was collected. He would have gone down. But then when the police went to interview my mother, she lied about absolutely everything and said it was all made up and defended him over me. Wow.
0: Well, that, well, that How did that betrayal feel?
2: It was the end. I remember sending a little message. We hadn't been in touch for 20 years or so. and I sent a little message just saying, Mum, I will never forget what you did but I will forgive you if you help me this last time. I just have to have justice. Just please do one thing for your daughter. Tell the truth and I will forgive you and love you all over again. And she didn't. She stood up for him and left me. Oh, sorry, man. Yeah. So the thing is, From this abuse, sadly, I'd also been unable to have children. I'd been abused to the extent I had to have a full hysterectomy in my 20s. So I lost all my female organs, my ability to have kids. And my only experience of parents was that the one thing parents should do in my eyes is look after their children. And my experience of parents was that the last thing they wanted to do was look after me. And when my mother finally did that and refused to stand up for me and she protected this man that had been abusing me. That was a final straw. But then more recently in the last two years, when I came down with all this COVID stuff, at one situation, they needed a blood test from my father because they were looking at what was wrong with me. Um, Cancer, COVID, they, they didn't know, but they had lots of suspicions. They needed some blood. My mother's died several years ago. So they asked my father, my father refused a blood test to save my life. That was last year.
0: And all this because of something that you were victimized yeah, by, and something that happened to you. I just don't, I don't have
2: parents, I don't think, in a way that I don't have anybody that stood up for me and protected me. I think that's why, in some ways, Miss Moneypenny on Clubhouse is quite defensive and can be a bit scary because nobody, <sighs> nobody ever stands up for me, so I have to get Miss Moneypenny to stand up for me because nobody else does.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that ma- that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, when you when you now hearing the the background and and contextualizing, you know, that when you explained it earlier, it, it didn't. I could understand it, but it didn't make as much sense as it does now. Let's say that so yeah that's uh that that's quite the uh quite the the trauma there man now are you involved in any kind of um like tr- child abuse trafficking human trafficking causes or or anything like that or you just um,
2: you see after that I went on. When I lost the ability to have children, I thought I never had anything good about me, but I realized I did have a brain. So I went into the city and for 20, 30 years, I was probably one of the most highly paid um, investment economists you know, on the trading floor in London. I was well known. I became the only female director of a big dot .com, PLC, I was in fintech i was the youngest and only female director of big companies that you know were well known i became very high profile and i kicked ass basically and i started to like myself a bit for doing it um but i always had a lot of guilt and i didn't do well in relationships i wasn't liked women were not liking me at all because I was fairly attractive and kicking ass in the city and making a lot of money. But I used that money to protect my brother who was going through a sort of, I'm gonna say a drink drugs thing. That's all I'm gonna go into. He was going through a hard time. I sorted out his accommodation. I bought him stuff. I bought my father a car, uh, helped my father pay the mortgage for several years. Same with my brother. So my only two you know, living relatives um, but I didn't have time for friends I just was work, 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 career all the time and it was a distraction really from everything else but it was something that I was good at I liked doing it but then when I left London and came here to Cheltenham I wanted to become completely low profile I didn't want people to know me um, I wanted a new sort of start in life and when I got here I wanted to leave all the crap behind type thing um, that unfortunately the soap opera lifestyle that I have um it turned out that my investigative reporter thing meant I was in touch with some very well known criminal groups some very well known convicts some very well known uh frauds uh money launderers I knew a lot of bad shit let's say that <laughs> and uh, I started to just come across these stories, which were really bad shit, um, which meant I sort of did a bit of freelance journalism as well and became a bit of a, I don't know, whistleblower. That's Mm. the word it is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wow, man, what a life. That's, uh, you know, I know know a few people, other uh, folks, uh, content creators from, I don't know if you would, Sonia... uh, oh god i can't remember what her last name is she used to she was did you does sean atwood ring a, ring a bell to you that name yes now uh, he had a show with her sonia paulson i think it is hmm. she's a another journalist that's into a lot of that stuff too uh, the, i followed them for a while
2: it's like um, the maxwell thing came up recently and i know somebody connected with it uh-huh. So I kept getting these messages on Clubhouse and people going, do you know such and such? Well, I do. I do know her. And yeah, I went to a party where, you know, Epstein was there and Prince Andy was there. And, you know, because that's the circles that I moved in years ago when I was in uh-huh. London. Um, but the media that happens on Clubhouse, you get two groups, you get one group that say he's making it up his way shit." is not believable, she's fantasy, and another group that say, she's a spy. And I literally got messages saying, she's a spy. She's not who she says she is. She's not even British. She doesn't have long COVID. She's not Nick, you know, Penny. And it's like, no. When I've gone through life not being believed so much and held so many big secrets to protect my mother and father and bloody rapists and child abusers, and then I'm the one that gets accused of being an undercover spy with a manipulative reason for being on clubhouse, that I'm not who I say I am. That hurts.
3: Yeah.
0: But you, but you also too, you got to understand is that when you can command a room like that, right? Yeah. (laughs) People will often feel a threatened, be yeah. hate. you got your haters uh, and folks that, you know, wish that, you know, when they, if they go and they look at your, you know, snap on your profile and they see how many people you have following you, oh, there's another reason. You know what I mean? That's just human I nature. Do,
2: yeah, I get it. But, God, it's, it's a hard journey. I was on stereo before I was on Clubhouse, which is another social app. And I was universally hated within about three weeks because I was British <laughs> and I was white. Those are the only two reasons. And that that was really hard, not because so I really found that difficult. Really found it difficult.
0: Yeah, I, it's I I I, I tr- went on there a couple of times on stereo. It just never it, it didn't click for me like Clubhouse did. And I, maybe it's it was timing. I think it was timing. I had Clubhouse was right at the end of what it was twenty twenty uh, December when I got on. So it was just sort of the tail end of being locked down, I think I was still on disability. So for another four months I was able to dive into it. And I gotta tell you, man, some of the some of the rooms that I I was in, you especially some of the like when you get into real conversations, just like we're having right now, right? You don't up until Clubhouse, you you don't see conversations like that. You don't talk about things like that with your friends. Like, you, like me, I never got deep like that with, you know, people that are around me. Mm. But I can do that on Clubhouse. It's weird. Maybe I'm it's because... O- I'm
2: over-trusting of people generally, you know, and so many people have said this. I expect people to be genuine. And throughout my life... I've been ripped off by, taken advantage of, job by so many people because of that. My joke is, that the actual truth, I had a Tinder date just before I got ill with COVID. I'd come out of a nine-year relationship. I had a Tinder date and I chose this guy because he was working in Formula One, which is my big thing. I love motorsport. So I went out for a date with this guy and on the second date, he stole my car, which is an old vintage Porsche. Hmm. <laughs> well, Only I, me, eh? Only me
0: I guess he was a different kind of Formula 1 driver He's usually a getaway driver oh, not, a, not a racing car driver
2: He was looking for a big company He's meant to have checked him out with due diligence Turns out he was a known criminal Who'd done car theft for years and years Before he went into Formula 1 So now he's banned from having any jobs In the whole of motorsport <laughs> But I'm the one that had to find out <laughs> yeah,
0: that, 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 that is crazy. Um, so let's, let's talk about long COVID. We're going to shift over into long COVID and kind of what is that? Explain what that is.
2: So it's a condition which is initially brought on by catching COVID. But for some people that catch COVID, they don't just have an illness that lasts seven or 10 days. Which could be obviously COVID, particularly in the early days, it could be mild and you could feel very rough and very much flu-y and heavy and your joints ache. But after seven or 10 days, you start to feel better. For many people, it would be very severe respiratory, you'd end up in hospital, particularly if you were older or had an underlying illness. And then there's a group of people that got really ill and never really got better, that things didn't properly go away. In fact, they kept coming back, and more stuff would come back. So for me, uh, the first few days were severe fever, sweats, um, obviously loss of smell and taste, had no appetite. But then I started to get all these infections, literally from here downwards. So my eyes got infected within day two or three. I had pink eye. I had a nasal sinusitis. I had um, salivary gland infections, gum infections, throat infections, chest infections, kidney infections, tract infections, all within about three days. My body was a growing infection. And within two more days, I couldn't walk. The pain in my joints was so severe. Um, I couldn't fist my hand put it in a fist like this I couldn't move my joints were solid and a raging heat but I felt freezing cold I was physically shivering struggling to breathe gasping wheezing like asthma Um, but unfortunately or fortunately when I got ill it was Christmas day December 2019 and at that time I was in St Lucia because i come out of a nine-year relationship that ended abruptly in November 2019. And I got this sort of 10-day holiday sorted. So I was told I had swine flu because nobody really recognized it. And the local people in St. Lucia said, oh, you got swine flu, it's really bad this year. We've had lots of people being really ill with it. Um, but at the time, you know, obviously nobody knew, nobody had even heard of COVID. Yeah. So I got back to the UK Um, And in order to fly, I had to sort of cover everything up about me being ill and pretend to be thoroughly well to get on the plane. Even though I'd been in bed solidly for five days, um, just, you know, unwell, very unwell. And I didn't want to go to a hospital in St. Lucia, because if you know anything about St. Lucia, it's hospital, is not great. So I got back to the UK and initially I felt a lot better. But I think that was the relief of getting home more than anything. And then I started to come out in this weird rash. Um, it started on my chest and it started spreading rapidly and it looked like chicken box, um, but it was coming out everywhere on my arms. And I noticed my fever was getting worse. When I got home, I'd got a thermometer and I'd got a um, blood pressure monitor and a blood oxygen monitor. And my blood oxygen levels, which I knew were meant to be between 95 and 100, were down in the 80s. And when I left them on when I was sleeping, they'd go down to 78. Um, and this was late January. So I phoned my GP. They'd said, well, if it's mindful you can't come in because it's highly infectious, you'll have to wait 15 days. So I didn't get in to see a doctor until very late January. And I'd sort of been staying in the house in bed because I'm not feeling so well. Um, and then when I went in to see the doctor, they just looked at me and said, that's probably not swine flu. Did you have it diagnosed? And I said, well, as far as I know, I was in Samosha. How do I know? So they'd written down on my report, which I didn't see till many months afterwards. They'd written down severe respiratory illness, unknown. Um, and they put uh, macropapular rash. And they'd written down my symptoms, joints all swollen up, uh, difficulty breathing, all this sort of stuff. And they just did loads and loads of blood tests. Um, and all the blood tests um, came back. And a lot of them were really abnormal. Like, your leukocytes shouldn't, shouldn't be that high, and your eosinophils shouldn't be that high, and your CRP is really high, and this is really high. And, and it was just abnormal, really abnormal. They had no clue. Long story short, I, at the time, uh, had some money because I'd just come out of work. And so I paid to see a private haematologist, a blood specialist, and a private rheumatologist. And I saw both of them, and they did more and more tests. And the only thing they could find was possibly something called um, M-U-G, which is um, a myeloma, a blood cancer early stage thing, um, because they'd found kappa and lambda and M-spike proteins and all these weird things in my blood that suggested I'd probably got this early stage of this cancer, in addition to whatever, you know, uh disease or respiratory thing I'd got, they thought I'd got this cancer thing. And then the country locked down. and these pictures started to come on television, which I vividly remember of Italy and Wuhan where you started to see the patients. And when I saw the patients, I saw me <clears throat> I saw their swollen joints. I saw their face being gray and scrunched up, their eyes being pink eye infected. Um, the boiling hot feeling like a migraine where you can't stand bright light. And I saw in them all my symptoms, but I just thought that's impossible. How can a girl in England who's been on holiday for a week have COVID when it's in China? It's not even near here. Um, So I didn't really think that much of it. And there were no tests, no antibody tests or anything. Um, And I just sort of thought it must be the cancer that is the most important thing. But at that point, we were shut down. I was on my own. And all I could do was think, I'll go back to my studying because I've been very academic as a kid, and I pulled out all the science, all the medical books, and then obviously with YouTube, I went on to John Mayo, uh, the John Hopkins Clinic, the Mayo Clinic, all these things, and I started really studying hard all the immunology virology epidemiology everything i could find i read everything i could find on the covid what was happening and then i started to connect through social media people in the u.s and canada particularly and because i've been a journalist i went on radio shows where people called me in because i was ill and said you know is there a chance you could be this that and the other in the end, this weird thing happened where my blood was sent to Porton Down, which is the government's security, high security lab in the UK. They sent my blood to this high security lab because the doctors, the specialists said she's got some weird, probably a tropical disease. She's probably being bitten by a mosquito, all this sort of stuff. Anyway, it came back. I had positive yellow fever. Wow. Yellow fever. I mean, there's not been a case of yellow fever in the whole of Europe for five years. And I had yellow fever on my blood. So they went back to the government laboratory because it's it's a declarable disease. It's a Mm. high risk disease. And they tested it a second time and it came back positive for yellow fever again. And so I was convinced, as were some of the doctors, that mysteriously I'd suddenly got yellow fever. Just as I know now, I did have yellow fever but it was reactivated because it was a dormant virus in my body that had been reactivated by SARS-CoV-2. Because now we know SARS-CoV-2 itself is a pretty horrendous virus, but what is bad about it? And the reason you get all these freaky symptoms that nobody understands, and the reason you get ill, not just for 10 days, but some people get ill for months and years, like me, is because this virus goes into your body And all the other viruses you've ever had as a child, all the strep throats, bacteria, fungi, athlete's foot, anything you've had before is basically woken up again by SARS-CoV-2. And so you manifest the symptoms of about 10 different viruses and bacteria all at once. Hence why people are getting uh, sort of, you know, sclerosis, neurological problems, massive rashes. Um, shingles, because they had chickenpox as a child, and it's woken up, it manifests as shingles, and now we know all of those crazy symptoms that I had, not being able to walk, not being able to do this, my voice change, um all these infections, were basically all the childhood things I had because I was pretty shitty ill as a kid, as you can tell with all the traumas going on <clears> throat> and, throat> and whatever, I was not a healthy kid, all these horrid things I'd had, all went bang, and all woke up at the same time And this manifested in long COVID, which is basically a condition that over 5 million people have in the UK, multi-million worldwide, that is still not completely understood and recognised, which means a lot of people have got severe ongoing disablement. I wasn't able to walk for 18 months. I wasn't able to leave the house. Breathing is still difficult. If I do something like going to the kitchen to empty the bins, I could be out of breath in, in 10 minutes and gasping to breathe properly. Um, my joints swell up. Um, I've now been uh, confirmed I've got rheumatoid arthritis. I've obviously got this this y thing. I've got multiple organ damage. I became part of an Oxford University trial because I was one of the first people with it where they found I got mitral heart valve damage, lesions on my liver, things on my kidneys and all my organs have been subjected to damage which is permanent pretty much you know
0: um, and that's and that's all from the first variant right the first variant that was released yeah, and
2: they call it the wild version the first version yeah
0: and that but somebody said something to me like, where i heard a i heard a theory and it made a lot of sense to me that the reason why so many people died in the beginning and so many people had so many problems with this thing because it was the first time it had been introduced to this, uh, to us as a species, right? And so the longer that it goes through, right? So the the first wave, you know, knocks a bunch of people out. And then as it's starting to... I guess it would be almost kind of like having a building up a tolerance to it, right? Your, your society starts building up a tolerance to it and it's not as bad as it, as the time goes on. And that made a lot of sense. But I mean, like as, as far as like medical just stuff, I mean, I have no idea just from what I've, I've listened to and people that I've listened to like McCullough and uh, you know, Farid and you know, all of these, these doctors that are on the, I guess you would call it the alternative spectrum. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> alternative is, to.
2: This wasn't the first time we'd seen a coronavirus in humans because we'd had SARS CoV 1 and MERS that were both from the same sort of family of viruses, albeit MERS was from a camel mixing with. The tree bat or, or the bat. I mean, bats are known to carry massive amounts of viruses and not exhibit symptoms, and that's been known for decades. Mm-hmm. And when we had SARS 1 and then we had MERS, ironically enough, the people that recovered from that first SARS and MERS have a backup against SARS CoV 2. So there are some people that genetically had. MERS or SARS albeit you know they'd be quite old now that haven't been at all affected by any of the COVID initial viruses or variants and some of them because in the coronavirus family is also the common cold the thing that most spreads worldwide that we have no answer for there's no treatment for the common cold because it's such a complex virus but some strains of the common cold, because every virus has you know thousands and thousands of strains. If you had a particular strain of the common cold, you might even have protection against COVID. That's, you know, we've learned so much about it. And the point is, a lot of people died unnecessarily, sadly, because initially doctors thought it was a respiratory virus. They thought it was all about the lungs and struggling to breathe. Now we know that's not the case, but you know, people were shut onto ventilators and put in hospital on breathing apparatus. And they were dying, more were dying that went on apparatus and breathing apparatus than we could possibly have known because it wasn't just a respiratory virus. It's actually an inflammatory virus that is a multidiscipline virus that affects the organs, that affects the brain it crosses the blood-brain barrier, this virus. So you get neurological effects. You start off losing your taste and smell, but it's nothing wrong with what's actually in your nose or your mouth. It's in your head. The reason I started losing my eyesight and my hearing, I was bleeding through my ears Within by February. Um, I was having massive inflammation of my brain. And your brain chemicals stop being produced in the right way. The regulators in your body uh the inhibitors, the ACE inhibitor, the different regulators that normally would tell you how much salt and sugar and the hormones, you know, hence women losing periods, hence uh men having low sperm count, hence some people still with long COVID today not being able to walk at all, um, because they have got partial paralysis caused up here, a lot of referred pain, that there's actually nothing wrong with their hips, but they have so much pain in their hips because something's wrong up here. This is, you know, just the most amazingly complex virus. And sadly, some people have just never got over it. And still no so,
0: when you explain it like that, and you you say everything that, that happens, I mean, it, with this virus, it sounds an awful lot like a weapon.
2: It certainly does.
0: I mean, you know, that would be the perfect thing. I mean, it wouldn't wouldn't that? I mean, if you were to release this on on an enemy or or you know somebody that you didn't like or you know maybe a country that you didn't want to compete with, um, yet you would just release this and it pulls everything out that ever was wrong with you. So, um, I don't know, man. It, it's either, it's either a. We- <laughs> And, and this isn't backed up by anything, and this is my my personal opinion, not Miss Money Pennies. Um, if it was a weapon, perfect. You know, you're going to get somebody, you're going to get what you need out of it. But if it's not a weapon, then it's... And, it, and if it was manufactured and if it was made and created in a lab, why would a pharmaceutical company Want to do that, and it would make sense because now all of the problems that you have, not only are we going to get billing codes out of you um, for all of the different times that you have to go into the to, to the hospital, right? Which is always a ching, uh, unless you're in the in the, in the the NHS, uh, but if you're here in the United States, it's a billing code every time you step foot into a hospital or, or get examined or have a phone call or whatever right mm-hmm. and so when i start looking at this and i look at things from like a criminal aspect because i, I was a criminal um and i start looking at all of the ways that i could make money off of or can money can be made or the, or that they're making money off i'm like god they're, they're getting it at every angle here you know they're like that billing code
2: to- how many they are there? Now look, just look at the virus itself and look at vaccine production and medication production. That is big pharma making billions and billions. But also, for example, a little example, all the testing kits worldwide, all the things that are shoved up noses, all the mm-hmm. little things that you drop in, are all made in China. The Chinese factories with these fantastic workforces that can turn around billions and billions of PPE and testing kits the uk paid 3.2 billion pounds for testing kits the first round we're on to about round 10 15 of testing kits all bought directly from chinese companies
0: mhm mhm so i i my camera is sitting on a binax now testing kit <laughs> <laughs> uh made by Abbott brand new. And the reason why I have this testing kit is that I got informed yesterday that my ex's boyfriend tested positive for COVID. Right. And so I guess he was around my daughter before I, I picked her up and he didn't get tested until Saturday and I didn't find out until Saturday evening. So I, had a test here and I gave it to my daughter which wasn't very easy Um <laughs> she didn't like the first test she had to take when she went to Maui to fly so I, I had to, to initiate that and that wasn't very much fun but here's my point she went and got a, a test kit to test herself and she said well you know what why don't we just give you a test see how accurate these things are guess what he tested negative yeah which is a good thing for me because she is a i trust the science person and my daughter's four which means she's going to be five which means she will be eligible for that child one and my ex wanted to he was one of those ones that wanted to do it Mm. and no matter what i what i try to point out to her or or send her i'm the conspiracy guy right oh it's another one of those damn fucking conspiracies that you always talk about you know and it's like okay but a lot of those aren't coming true it's just that you're not able to see that because you're plugged into you know whatever news outlet that's not telling you the truth
2: did you hear in the uk what british school children did when they brought out the lateral flow tests that are like the little pregnancy tests where you get the lines on them. And these were issued to every school across the UK because we had this policy that if one pupil was found positive, and this is probably the Delta, but you know it's, it's quite recent, the last six months or so. So they issued every school or pretty much every parent and teacher with thousands and thousands of these little rapid flow tests. And the idea was that one kid was ill, all 30 kids from the same class had to go home. This was nightmare because then all the parents of 30 kids also couldn't go to work. So that meant there weren't people manufacturing food. There weren't people uh, picking vegetables. There weren't people driving trucks. There weren't people doing all these things. And all these shortages obviously occur. So the British government, in its wisdom, decided, ah, let's get these new tests. Everybody can test. We don't need to send 30 people home. We can just send home the ones that are ill. So the British kids decided to get Coca-Cola and orange juice not together and try dropping it on this test and it made false positives which the kids loved they could stay (laughs) off school easy I just (laughs) dropped Coca-Cola on my test (laughs) they are I mean I'm not I'm not you know I'm not saying that all of them are totally inaccurate but gosh I haven't heard much good things about tests other than they're a bit iffy
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're questionable. They're questionable.
2: Um,
0: yeah, so I put a. I saw another post this morning on Twitter, and it was of a doctor, and you can see that on my Twitter feed. And they did six drops of tap water, and it tested positive. And he yeah. did it. He opened it, right? Showed you everything, opening it straight from the package and, and the safety and everything else. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I just... Like, what can you trust? What can you trust these days? Is there anything?
2: That's the problem. Do you know, this whole pandemic is so open to conspiracy theories or conspiracy facts that there are many, many people, myself included, who a year ago was a bit like, maybe this isn't quite what it says. But not many people have gone past that to actually take time to look at some real science and listen to people who have views about, well, maybe the tests aren't accurate. Maybe these vaccines have got other stuff in them that we don't know about. Maybe my government's locking me down and making me wear a mask just to make everybody terrified and that it's not for the same reasons. But those people that have, which is a huge growing group, Um, are obviously finding stuff out that is life-threatening and not just life-threatening, life-ending. You know, you look at something like the databases of adverse events and deaths from people that have had vaccines and you look at the deaths that we are told come from COVID, many of which have nothing to do with COVID, they just happen to be somebody who unfortunately has been very ill, who has COVID once they're in hospital or gets COVID for some other reason, which may not be tested correctly anyway. Um, and you start to mistrust your government, your health service, your friends, your family. And it's another thing with long COVID. You know, sadly, so many people that got long COVID, they've lost their husbands, wives, partners because their symptoms, particularly earlier when there was no way of testing are so bizarre so frequent so inexplicable that you're just not believed and so there is so much gaslighting which has resulted in a huge mental pandemic of people who are now living or trying to live with rapid tachycardia organ damage being unable to walk properly struggling to breathe (coughs) <coughs> nobody believes in them. Their husbands and wives not believing them. And they have nobody to turn to. And so suicide is now the highest cause of long COVID death. Because these people, like me, are so alone, so misunderstood, so gaslighted by the medical fraternity, and they just give up. Because like me, they're taken into hospital when they get sepsis, or when they have a stroke or when they have a heart attack. But otherwise, they're just told, stay at home until you are really serious, until you can't breathe, don't phone us.
0: Yeah, that, that's another part of this, this puzzle, um, that at least in the United States, you know, the story around that with the early treatment, the, you know, the, how we got the emergency use, use authorization to begin with, uh, was all based on, on lies and deception. Yeah. And, you know, the only thing that seemed to matter is profit and getting a shot into every arm of every individual all over the world. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but I've never, ever, ever in my life, um, seen somebody, uh, or seen anything any organization any entity trying to impose something like that upon any citizen of, of anywhere
2: yeah
0: you know what i mean and usually when you Who have people, into
2: the lottery to win a million dollar prize for having a vaccine has that ever happened before
0: uh, or giving free donuts for life at krispy kreme <laughs> you know, two donuts a day for or I a week. Them
2: to complain because the Brits weren't allowed to enter that one, and I thought, well, we like Krispy Kreme as well. There's <laughs> our donuts.
0: <laughs> and, and if it's supposed to be about health, well, that's the that's that's anti-health. Yeah, right? not you like build your
2: immunity and eat vegetables. It's life supply of donuts.
0: Yeah, yeah. get yourself some more sugar you so you can cause more inflammation. Blood. So we can.
2: To hurry them up the back. process give them donuts give them
0: donuts <laughs> yeah we need to get that sugar in them so we can you know can create more of that inflammation so it'll add on to the inflammation that they already got and that way they won't hang on as long and we can get rid of them just as quick so <laughs> this is this is one of the things that like just common sense right who did this affect the most right it, it, like who died who were the people that died or or were affected the hardest? Well, it was the older population, right? Mm -hmm. And most of them were, I don't know, I mean, you can say if they're not producing anything and, you know, that they're a drain on the economy. I mean, I don't believe that. I mean, that's why we got, you know, all these things that we pay into, So they're a
2: financial drain because the pension systems, which in your country is the 401k, many, many countries are in debt no country is in as much debt, proportionately, as the United States. And one of the biggest commercial drains, financial drains, is the pension system.
3: Mm.
2: And by getting away the people that will need the pension, by getting rid of the older community, and by getting people who are dependent on benefits because they've got underlying illnesses, diabetes or cancer, they're the ones that suck the financial system. So, if there was a weapon principle, the first groups of people you'd get rid of were the people that need financial state benefits and pension money from the government, who are sucking all the money off you.
3: Mm.
2: They'd be the first to go. Then it was the the,
0: the, then it was the groups that have been being attacked from (laughs) as far as as far as since we brought them here, uh, which were the black and the brown communities. You know, those are the other ones. And so it just starts to look like, okay, you know I mean? There's just, there's only so many coincidences in life and, and, in, and in one whole life. You know what I mean? How many coincidences have you ever experienced in your life? Probably maybe a handful, hmm. right? And there just seems to be coincidences lining up right and left for this thing. Like, you know, the universe has just laid out the red carpet on, on you know, uh, uh, synchronicities for, for the pandemic <laughs> and, the, and the COVID yeah. thing, right? I don't but know, this, man.
2: This is where, you know, you struggle because if you are an intelligent, curious person who's not prepared to accept that all these coincidences are just coincidences, you start to look and you maybe go on to a few different websites that you don't normally go on to because you notice that all the big websites are being censored. And if you want to put a post on Facebook or on Twitter that says anything about your vaccine having potentially made your father ill or something, it doesn't appear. It's mysteriously taken off. People even like Donald Trump are no longer allowed to be on Twitter. And all these mysterious things start happening And you start looking around, but the minute you do, you are outcast with a tinfoil hat in the corner as some sort of rabid conspiracy theorist who's out there to destroy the world population, whilst the government is ordering everybody to get back in their houses, get back in your cage, and deal with the fact that we are in a preposterously dangerous environment like today, when Omicron has been proven to be no worse than a common cold. And Nobody has been seriously ill. Nobody's in hospital. The hospitals have got Omicron cases from people who have broken legs and sprained ankles that got Omicron when they're in the hospital and they are being called the mass hospitalised. There's no such thing as too many coincidences in my book.
0: Now, let's, let's move into something that I know that you're really passionate about and you're really angry about. And it has to do with something that is 100% preventable, which is the deaths and the adverse events that get caused from not aspirating when you give the shot. Yeah, this is explain, a big one. Explain, explain a little bit about that and how you uh, figure that one out.
2: So, obviously, we know there's a lot of... Anti-vaxxers who believe that we've got you know digital microchips or you know baby parasites that are gonna eat you from the inside and all these weird ingredients in vaccines. And to be honest, some of them are just like woo, and you think this is just crazy, this is giving bad people a bad name. But increasingly you start to look at the figures of people having adverse events. And those statistics speak for themselves that there are higher proportions of people getting cardiac problems, problems with the heart, problems like strokes, problems all relating to thick coagulated blood that cannot be explained away, that are factual. And some vaccine manufacturers, AstraZeneca, for example, pulled their vaccines for a little while because they were worried about it. But what nobody realized until much more recently, probably in the last six months, is that When vaccines started to be rolled out globally, and we're talking millions and millions and millions of vaccines, nobody actually looked at how vaccines are given. So you think about it, a vaccine has to be given intramuscularly. It has to go into a thick bit of muscle for different reasons. One, it's going to be less painful if it goes into nice thick muscle. Two, the vaccine itself is going to go and spread through this muscular tissue, which will make it you know, be absorbed and keep it in that location, all the rest of it. And also intramuscular injections, which have been used decades and decades before, are less dangerous because intramuscular injections are less likely to go get- <coughs> into Or so we thought, because we then realized that the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in the US, um, the National Health Service, Public Health England in the UK, Pfizer and other maxi- vaccine manufacturers were with their labeling, with their instructions on the government websites in the UK and the US, saying to medical professionals do not aspirate when you give this vaccine and simply what that means is when you jab it into the muscle, which has to be done quite jabby, instead of pulling back slightly on the syringe to check if there's any blood in the syringe, which would mean that you'd hit a blood vessel, which normally you would then take it out choose a slightly different site, move it a little bit across, do it again to make sure you're not injecting into blood you would be able to check that that person does not get a vaccine straight into the bloodstream, which is known from you know 101 medical to be dangerous. But no, we are under instruction throughout this pandemic, worldwide not to aspirate, do not check that you are injecting into somebody's blood vessel, do not pull back on that syringe, do not check whether or not that person is going to get the vaccine straight into their bloodstream. And people started reporting strange tastes in their mouth after vaccination, which is because when it goes into the bloodstream, it's immediate, you get this taste in your mouth from it having gone into your bloodstream. And so lots of research started happening. And sure enough, there was a correlation between those people who had been vaccinated, where it had hit their bloodstream straight away, who had then gone on to have serious illnesses and death. And yet it is part of the instruction worldwide from vaccine manufacturers and governments, do not aspirate. To me, it might as well be. Do not try and keep your patient alive. Do not try and avoid them being killed, because that's how simple it is. If we have aspirated and checked to be not going into the bloodstream, thousands of people's lives would be saved. And if we change that policy tomorrow, we could save thousands of lives. But literally, while we're talking, you and I, Sean, while we've been on here for the last 40 minutes or so, I'm sorry, but there will be thousands of people who have been injected straight into their bloodstream that will either be seriously ill at this moment, or certainly within the next couple of weeks or months, will have serious life-threatening disease.
0: The, the one thing that that troubles me is that even with all of the information, right, even with just if you look at bears, and if I'm not mistaken, and I got this information from a medical researcher, is that... <clears throat> there have been more adverse events and deaths with this vaccine than all of the vaccines in the va- history of vaccines yeah. altogether. Yeah. And there have been other vaccines that have been pulled from, from use for less than this. Yeah. So where I mean, you, where's the, the canary in the, in the coal mine? Where is the, I mean, where where's all the, 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 pre, the things that are supposed to like, you know.
2: <laughs> That's the all. whole point. The whole point of having an adverse event database for giving people a way to report a medication that is giving bad side effects, whether it be an Advil, an aspirin, whether it be an antibiotic, you've got to be able to say my patient suffered or I suffered personally when I took that. I had an adverse event. And those are there for the purposes of scientifically feeding back to the scientist and then finding there might be some other way they could do it that would make it less risky or feeding back to the medical profession that might say, Oh, we're getting a lot of people who are losing their eyesight as a result of this treatment. Um, and yet on Clubhouse particularly, I remember when I first on it and the doctors on Clubhouse, uh, Anybody with DR before their name would simply say, well, we don't believe. We don't believe adverse events. We don't believe theirs. Theirs isn't a good source. And if we were to go into a debate and say, 1,800 people have died according to this database, they would say, well, we don't follow that database. Now, they have a point in that you can't create a causal link. You can't say 800 people died within two weeks of being vaccinated. And yet some of those died of completely nothing to do with it. They might have fallen under a bus or been in an aeroplane crash or whatever it is. Yes, that's absolutely right. But the point is, by now, we've got causal data. We have got data where people, scientists and medicine have sat together and looked at 500 reports of a gastric problem or a cardiac problem. And they've wheedled out the ones that are not relevant. And still, we've got data that, as you rightly say, is over and above what we've seen cumulatively with other vaccines so why is nobody doing anything about
0: it yeah i mean you would one would have to come to their own conclusions because absent absence of information what do people do we start to draw conclusions as to what, you know, what it could be and why, why is it? And then that's where conspiracy theories end up, you know, going, going mad or going awry, going left when they should be going right. Uh, That's where they're born. When, when there's not information and there's not transparency in a system that uh, system that there should be. Uh, Malfunction here. Jesus Christ. What happened? Green screens. <laughs> my green screen started to follow me, but you couldn't—you just can't see it because I have us zoomed in. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> there was one thing that I was going to mention about what what you were talking about—it just slipped my mind. Um, I wish I would remember because it was a good point. As to,
2: while well, I'm yeah. around for the next couple of hours, if you want to pull me in and do it.
0: No, that's uh, that's that's I think we're I think we're pretty good. Um, It's uh, you know, the bottom line is, is we're we're in times right now that are, are completely different from any time that we've ever been in. And I mean, we haven't even talked about Australia or New Zealand yet. And, you know, that's a whole, that could be a whole nother uh, thing there. I mean, especially after the pictures that I saw from Michael's uh, PTR today about how they were going around. Um, and I actually, I took a picture of it. I, I had screenshotted it because I was like, it doesn't even look from the, like, it doesn't look like it's even from this era. That picture looked like something that either World was two, in
3: yeah, say, World yeah. War Two,
0: Napoleonic, yeah. you know what I mean? Just, it just didn't look like it was yesterday uh or last evening <laughs> whenever it was you know uh and, and to reference this and let you guys get a little context to it it was a picture of um police officers in march in formation holding uh torches i mean fire torches like old day torches and walking making sure what, what is what uh, curfew was being uh adhered to yeah I mean what where where are we you know and that's happening in australia that's where that was right
2: yeah but i mean i have said this i find it a bit curious i don't know it's because americans don't look at the uk as being significant but we've had quarantine camps in the uk for months every airport now has the airport car park has a barbed wire fence around it okay in uh, London Gatwick and London Heathrow, are two most incoming international airports. When you fly into the airport, if you have been through a country that has been designated a red zone by our government, or even if you pass through that country, when you come into land, you are escorted with a security guard. You and your family are taken to one of these hotel airports where there are four different CCTV cameras from every angle in every corridor, You are allocated a room, which you are never allowed out of because the cameras are on you without being told, being uh, called to on a megaphone type thing on the system that says your half hour break will start in 10 minutes. Prepare to leave your room. You are fed what you are given, which pretty much looks like slop. And when you do go outside in the exercise interval, like prison camps, you are marched You are told to go in a clockwise direction. You are marched around a car park of a hotel, which now has barbed wire around it, by security guards wearing high-vis security stuff. And literally, if you go to the edge of that car park where the barbed wire is, where your parents in a car have pulled up alongside to see you and say hi, you are pulled away. You are not allowed to talk to them. And you pay for that. You pay for a four or five-star hotel to be put in that condition for seven to 10 days, usually 10 days, where you are not allowed any contact with anybody else and you are in your room with your kids and your wife, fed what they want to feed you and not allowed out for exercise unless it's time and they are going to march you around. And that's been in the UK for months. It's not yeah,
0: that... I, I, yeah, I didn't know that. Um, and it to me... By doing this and by creating these and people get into them, you start creating conditioning where people don't. OK, so if you do that enough yeah. and people experience that enough, yeah, it's not going to seem out of place when it becomes regular, everyday part of society and living where you are marched from here to there to there to there. You know what I mean? It's just it, it's, it's, almost it, it's normalizing government
2: it. Government are becoming the CCP It's as though they want us to conform, to do everything we're told, to stay in the house, to not eat this, to not do that, to make sure we wear a mask so that we are constantly living in fear. It's almost as though we are going to become like the very, very conducive, conformative Far Eastern societies, isn't it?
0: Well, they certainly own a lot of stuff here in the United States, as far as property and investments, mm-hmm. and and they, and I know that they do all over the world now. So, I don't know, man. Is it is it is it conspiracy or is it fact that the social credit system that's being implicated implemented? What's that?
2: This is uh-huh. viral. The The book that tells a lot of truth that has just come out. This blows it out of proportion. It's fascinating. For anybody who doesn't have months and months of time to catch up on it, bang, one book. That's what is worth reading. And I'm not even involved with it. I'm not going to make money out of it. I don't make money from anything. I've lost my job. (laughs) But (laughs) this book is out in the US and the UK. It came out about three days ago. It's written by Alina Chan, who is an American Chinese scientist. And Matt Ridley, who's an award-winning, formerly Guardian journalist in the UK, and it bang blows it out of proportion about where it might have come from, why it came from, who funded it. I just recommend it. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll check that one out because I know that I listened to the Robert uh, Kennedy Jr. Um, yeah. uh, what is it? The real, the real Dr. Fauci. Or yeah. the real Fauci something like that. He had a lot of a lot of information on that one. And speaking of of that in in Fauci, uh there is a uh, HIV outbreak in Michigan, I think. Is it um, Michigan or Minnesota?
2: Monkeypox, smallpox, HIV, um shingles, uh polio, literally we have all these bonkers illnesses coming out again. Why? Reactivation of dormant viruses. Because that's what SARS-CoV-2 does. SARS-CoV-2 is an immunity bomb that goes into a body, finds every other virus and bacteria that it's ever had, and wakes it up again. So, if you ever had a tiny amount of monkeypox, smallpox, whatever in your genetic line that is still within you, it wakes it up and it goes again.
0: Yeah, I... I've been lucky. I haven't tested positive for it and I haven't uh, but I have been sick um and I have uh, been around people that have had it. And I I I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I've been taking uh vitamin D supplements and C and yeah. pretty much the early treatment protocol from the ver- their very beginning the the, the profile prophy- and I just stepped into the prophylaxis part of it with you know the uh one of, the, one of the things you're not supposed to have.
2: But <laughs> this is brilliant about Clubhouse because Clubhouse brings together some amazing holistic pr- practitioners, nutritionists, people that really understand the science of, of nutrition and what the body does and how it does it. And if, if, if our governments really cared for us, at the beginning, they would have said, build up your immunity, go and eat fresh fruit and veg, go and do this, you know? But instead, they just said, stay indoors and wear a mask. And with any virus, you want to build up your immunity. You don't want to get a cold, so you take your zinc and this, that, and the other. We could have been told that, but we weren't. And now it is crucial that the body is protected as much as possible. We're lucky that as the virus progresses, naturally it becomes more reproductive. It spreads faster. but It becomes weaker. I mean, Omicron, from everything we've seen in the last 24 hours, is pretty much a common cold. It's not making anybody seriously ill. Nobody's been hospitalized as a result of it. And yet... All our governments have been locking us down, and we're probably going to spend the festive season locked in our houses with masks for what is a common cold. It's ridiculous.
3: Well,
0: the messaging is definitely uh, somewhat like even the buildup. You know, because the one thing that that I think that we do very well is understand we we can pick up on patterns, right? And we remember. You know that's why erasing things from you know is what they like to do because when we see something we go whoa wait a minute I remember that I remember exactly when that happened but if we don't see something to trigger the memory the memory just goes away
3: yeah
0: right and so I think that a lot of the stuff that we're starting to see the messaging the the borders shutting down the travel internationally I mean we all we've seen this before you know uh, and. I don't know, man. Is this part of that dark winter? Uh, there's mister...
2: no other logical way to explain it, is there? there's no logical way for a government <clears throat> now to say there's a virus which is not of danger. And it's not going to put you in hospital. And you've only got a 0.8% chance, even if you had another one of the variants, that you'd be in hospital. But we're going to lock you in your houses and give you masks. That just doesn't make sense now. It's not plausible.
0: Mm-hmm. Nope. So hopefully everybody else will start to, to see the same thing. And like I said, I feel hopeful because now that my ex has seen that one <laughs> chink, yeah. one chink, one chink in the armor. Yeah. That makes that sometimes that's all it takes is for someone to go, wait a minute, that something that, like, as a product, as somebody that produces products, why would you produce something that is as faulty as this? you know what yep. i mean and 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 roll is the gold standard of testing <laughs> so i don't know I'm, I'm hopeful i'm hopeful that you know we this whole thing falls on its face um at some point uh, and, and i i don't know how that's going to happen you know there's you know, lawsuits law you know stuff like that david martin he's another person that talks about you know different ways that you can do this with the fauci files and or the fauci dossier that he created and the slide deck and all that so
2: well you could buy I, the fauci coloring book go and color it in Seriously, there is a Fauci colouring book. Is there? And a colouring book.
0: Well, he's got his own... Disney gave him his own uh, uh, auto... What is that? His own auto book or documentary? Yeah. Yeah, Do you know when
2: the pandemic first arrived, the biggest explosion in computer games was a computer game called Pandemic, made in the UK in Bristol, about 10 miles from where I currently live, which was... How to survive in a pandemic. And the Chinese bought it massive in the first few months of the pandemic. Everybody was online playing pandemic. How to kill off other worlds. How to keep your world safe. Really? (laughs) You couldn't explain it.
0: No, that does make sense, though. I mean, you know, (sighs) this thing has been so planned. In certain ways, I mean, from Event Two Hundred One, which you know, which is done by John Hopkins, and when you start looking into all the things that John Hopkins is is that organization, that institution that they're involved in,
2: yeah, we we just touch the surface with what stuff we haven't got out yet. The more the more coincidences that are found, the more we find that, for example, the Wuhan lab said it didn't have any mice or frogs or animals in it and they were all there and the minute the wuhan lab said uh, we're level four biosecurity but several months before they put out a private contract on the ccp website asking for a new security measure a new air conditioning and they were willing to pay billions for it because they hadn't got it it wasn't working Um, everything that seems to be you take it at face value because a scientist or a media company said it and then you start to get things come out and then people like the vaccine manufacturers are sponsoring every single media program that you can watch and every news bulletin that you watch and the fact-checking companies are owned by the vaccine manufacturers and all of this is on paper and it's credible and you can find it out it's not being hidden but you just don't put the dicks all together and when you do, you get so terrified because it becomes so obvious what is going on. But it's every day is a new adventure into the surreal thing that this is. And I just hope to God that people do have hope and laugh because that's when you're living on your own this time, this long, this ill, so many people, it's very tempting to give up. But Clubhouse at least connects you with people with spirit and energy and like-mindedness. And it keeps a lot of people going, me included.
0: I could see that, honestly. I could see, I could see that. And for me, in 2020, it was just like that because I was, I was single. I wasn't, you know. I was just, I was in my trailer, small spot. You know, it's it's a big trailer, but I mean, as far as like having space, I mean, it's you know what, 400 square feet maybe. Um, And that was the only thing that kept me going too, like. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. But I was interviewing and talking to like 16 or 17 different people every week. And so yeah. I, I mean, that's a lot of different people I'm able to talk to and have conversations with. And it didn't feel lonely. Like I felt like I was still connected. And yeah. Clubhouse does that. I mean, it, you see it, it on
2: my profile. You know, when I've been accused of having ulterior reasons for being on Clubhouse, I just didn't understand it. But I realised some people did, and some people are on it for commercial reasons or raising their brand or their profile, and they've got PayPal's on their accounts. And I'm like, what's going on? Um, but I now put it openly on my account. I joined it for loneliness because I was so alone, so isolated. Obviously, you know, my two family members had walked out on me, given up on me. Um, I'd come out of a nine-year relationship, so I'd lost most of my social group anyway. And other than two little dogs that I adore, you know, there've been many nights where. I was close to do something I shouldn't. And no amount of Prozac can get you out of that. But Prozac doesn't give you communication with like-minded adults. And that's what Clubhouse has done. That's why it's
3: so important.
0: Well, I'm glad you're still here. So am I. And looking, looking forward to, to, to hearing more of you on Clubhouse. Thank and you. maybe back on the show again. Um, you know, there's definitely lots to talk about, and definitely more to catch up on as things reveal themselves as in the coming days. <laughs> you know, I, I, somebody uh, gave me a, or I heard a, another theory, and it made a lot of sense too. You know, it's let's give them the Christmas. That way, and it's not really give them the Christmas because the way that you decode all of these uh, things that come at us is you find the opposite of what's actually being told to you. So if they say give them their Christmas, no, it means give us our Christmas so they can spend all their money and we can make our profit before we lock them back down again. From March, yeah, no, February, sucks. March. You know, so I, and it, for anybody listening, that's what you really have to do. You have to take what the messaging is. Seek out what the opposite of that is, and see if that's true first, <laughs> and then and then move on to it. At least that's how I feel, because it's usually you know the reality that we all share sometimes is definitely inverted.
2: You know, it's not reality when the front page of the British papers yesterday had headlines: shortage of Santas.
0: Shortage <laughs> of Santas. There aren't
2: huh? enough people to play Santa oh no <laughs> that's how daft it is that's how daft don't take it too seriously guys just stay strong carry on and if you can go on Clubhouse or something similar you'll find a lot of light minded people and if nothing else you'll find out stuff that you're amazed at and you'll have a good laugh <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, are, is it still is it still invite only on Clubhouse? Do you have to get an no, invite, or no, can no, you it's
2: free. just download the app? Just go onto the app store or the Play Store or whatever it is you've got on your device. You can run it on a computer or a phone, mm-hmm. and it's just free to join.
0: Yeah, the Club Deck is actually pretty cool on the computer. Yeah, uh, you can do all kinds of different stuff with it. Um, so uh, the only thing I don't like about it is it can't. I can't i can't play from my computer like it won't mix the two so i have to have clubhouse on my on my phone yeah, going club
2: deck is not owned by clubhouse they're not affiliated in a commercial way so they don't they're not built to connect
0: yeah so that's that's that was my issue with it but sometimes i'll go on there it just depends so where can everybody find you if uh, you want to be found
2: yeah so um it's pretty open if you uh Call uh, on any social media platform Nick Moneypenny N-I-C which is my proper name and Moneypenny which is the name that everyone calls me and that came from working in the city because I was nicknamed Moneypenny um, Nick Moneypenny is pretty much on Instagram Twitter uh, Facebook Pinterest Reddit everywhere <laughs> even YouTube and TikTok but I started those to make myself laugh to keep myself motivated in lockdown so there's some pretty silly videos that i do as well because i do some comedy as well as serious stuff
0: well awesome awesome i appreciate it and uh, i appreciate you giving me your time and and sharing your story with me um i wasn't expecting that but definitely um you know i i appreciated the honesty and uh, the vulnerability that you were able to show and uh yeah just makes me even a bigger fan of you
2: <laughs> thanks sean Thank you to everybody else that's bothered to watch this far
0: in as well I'm sending love yeah for sure for sure and then all of that information will be available in the show notes and the description of wherever this lands uh, on my uh, platforms you know whether it's the uh, podcast platforms or odyssey or YouTube uh YouTube it won't uh, this won't be on YouTube <laughs> <laughs> this why. will not be on this will not be on it's YouTube funny. but you'll find it on odyssey so yeah, thank you and I appreciate you, you and look forward to hearing more from you on Clubhouse. And with that everybody, um as usual, keep it 100, mm-hmm. stay true to yourself. Everything else is just noise.
1: You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot for merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links. Go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.